WIPC. Welcome back, Indianapolis. I am happy to be here after another successful year of WIBC's Radiothon. I'm sure you contributed generously. Uh, Kurt, uh, Producer Kurt, did you happen to get the final numbers from Radiothon, or, or were you too busy I running the board? I recorded it. I'll pull it for you, and I'll give it to you here in just a second. Pull it. Okay, excellent. Because I'm sure, as usual, the WIBC listeners turned out. We really do have the best audience in the world. But welcome back to the political coverage. I am happy to uh, be the first person to welcome you back to normal WIBC programming, where this segment we're going to cover what I would consider the disastrous fourth Republican debate. Uh, it, w- it was a flustercuck. I mean, how do you like that? That is a spicy way to enter back into political coverage here on WIBC. Um, there were no really standout winners. I'm going to say it was Ron DeSantis overall. He did give a performance I would like to have seen more of in previous debates because he he made his uh, experience as a governor and his policies in Florida front and center, which I thought he should have been doing the whole time. He had a pretty solid uh, opening statement uh, when the debate got kicked off. I'm sick of hearing about these polls because I remember those polls in November of 2022. They said there was going to be a big red wave. It was going to be monumental. And that crashed and burned. The one place it didn't crash and burn was in the state of Florida. They weren't predicting uh, that I would win the way I did. And I won the greatest Republican victory in the history of the state of Florida. Uh, I am sick of Republicans who are not willing to stand up and fight back against what the left is doing to this country. You've got to be willing to stand strong and you've got to be willing to beat these people. I'm the only one running for president that has beaten these people on issue after issue. Uh, We beat the teachers unions when we did school choice. We beat Fauci on COVID. We beat George Soros when we removed two of his radical district attorneys. We beat the Democrats on election integrity. I have delivered results. That's what we need for this country. Okay, now that was a pretty strong opening statement from Ron DeSantis. I appreciated how he pushed back on the polling because obviously right now he's down, but the American voters have yet to decide. The primary elections haven't even taken place yet. So, you know, Ron DeSantis absolutely has an opportunity, especially if he continues to capitalize on his great success in the state of Florida. Now, there were a couple head-scratching moments uh, from Ron DeSantis, which we'll get to, but overall I thought his uh, performance was strong whose performance was one of the weakest, was Nikki Haley, probably tied uh, there with Chris Christie. Uh, Man, she got dogpiled on, including by the moderators for pointing out uh, her corruption, for her inconsistencies, and for her views on social media. Here was Megyn Kelly just tearing her apart in the opening uh, uh, moments of the debate. You left government service in 2018 with just $100,000 in the bank. Five years later, you're reportedly worth $8 million thanks to lucrative corporate speeches and board memberships like you had with Boeing. Weeks ago, you met with Wall Street heavyweights, including leaders from J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, and BlackRock. Several other billionaire investors are reportedly ready to endorse you, or recently have, all of which comes with expectations. Aren't you too tight with the banks and the billionaires to win over the GOP's working class base, which mostly wants to break the system, not elect someone beholden to it? Boom. Roasted. 
Well, thank you. It's great to be here. <laughs> now, Nikki Haley didn't have a response for that, so she immediately leaned into Ron DeSantis and tried picking a fight with him, which didn't work out so well because she had to double back and lie about her position on social media. And it's not a good look when you have to run away from your own stated policies. Uh, here was the moment when she tried to uh, de deceive the audience. I'll say this. What I said was that social media companies need to show us their algorithms. I also said there are millions of bots on social media right now. They're foreign, they're Chinese, they're oh, Iranian. I will always fight for freedom of speech for Americans. We do not need freedom of speech for Russians and Iranians and Hamas. We That's need social said. media right. companies to go That's and fight back on all of these bots that are happening. That's what I said. As a mom, as a mom, do I think that social media would be more civil if we went and had people's names next to that? Yes, I do think that because I think we've got too much cyberbullying. I think we've got child pornography and all of those things. But having said that, I never said government should go and require anyone's That's name. That's false. She what said, I, said, I want your name. She As president of the United States, her first day in office, she said, one of the first things I'm going to do I said we were going to get the millions of bots She wants government ID to dox every American. That's what she said. You can roll the tape. This is a complete farce. This is a joke. It's funny because Nikki Haley is acting like we live in a world where cameras don't exist. She said this front and center a couple of times while she was being interviewed. So, yeah. Yes, like Ron DeSantis said, let's roll the tape of what Nikki Pol uh, Haley's uh, policy on social media is. When I get into office, the first thing we have to do, social media accounts, social media companies, they have to show America their algorithms. Let us see why they're pushing what they're pushing. The second thing is every person on social media should be verified by their name. That's, first of all, it's a national security threat. When you do that, all of a sudden people have to stand by what they say and it gets rid of the Russian bots, the Iranian bots, and the Chinese bots. And then you're going to get some civility when people know their name is next to what they say. Accountability. And they know their pastor and their family member is going to see it. Shut up, silly woman. I'm not voting for my mom for president. I don't need my pastor spying on my social media presence if for no other reason than I'm an atheist. I don't have a pastor to spy on me. So Nikki Haley, pshaw, you're clearly uh, trying to snow job the American people with these blatant lies. That is your position on social media and it's a disastrous one, possibly the single most damaging moment to her campaign so far. Of course she's trying to run away from it, but Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy aptly capitalizing on that enormous weakness. Now, Chris Christie, his his debate performance was interesting. Um, he really just honed in on one message in particular, which is a good debate strategy overall. Um, his message was opposition to Donald Trump. He believes that Donald Trump is the foremost threat to the American Republic right now, and, and that was kind of what he leaned into throughout. And for us to go 17 minutes without discussing the guy who has all those gaudy numbers you talked about is ridiculous. I'm in this race because the truth needs to be spoken. He is unfit. This is a guy who just said this past week that he wants to use the Department of Justice to go after his enemies when he gets in there. I mean, the fact of the matter is he is unfit to be president and there is no bigger issue in this race, Megan, than Donald Trump and those numbers prove it. Okay, so 
I don't think that this is a particularly good strategy to win any kind of election, let alone a presidential primary election, because you you have to have something to vote for, not just something to vote against. And yes, many people are opposed to Donald Trump for a whole host of reasons, uh, some because they believe he's not the best candidate, some be- because uh, they believe he's too weak to overcome the obstacles uh, for re-election, and they think other rep- Republicans would be better. Um, you know, so Chris Christie leaning into Donald Trump is an effective debate strategy, but it's not an effective election strategy. You have to have something to vote for. And he was very thin throughout on providing any real policy positions. But in addition to focusing on Donald Trump, he managed to get some solid blows against Vivek Ramaswamy, who was unable to recover throughout the entire debate. Here was one of their more memorable exchanges. The donors right there, they're playing about the pocket. Okay, hold on, hold on. Let me just say something here. You know, his reasonable peace deal in Ukraine, he made it clear. Give them all the land they've already stolen, promise Putin you'll never put Ukraine in Russia, and then trust Putin not to have a relationship with China. Let me tell you something. That's no that's reasonable. Not my deal. That's, that's not my deal. Yes, Chris. it's exactly what I'll, you said. I'll you do this at every debate. I'll, just, I'll tell you, you exactly say, what no, I'm no, don't interrupt I'll me. I didn't interrupt you. Okay? You tell say this. You do this. You do this at every debate. You go out on the stump and you say something. All of us see it on video. We confront you on the debate stage. You say you didn't say it, and then you back away. And I want to say No, I'm not done yet. Well, this is look. This is nonsense. This is nonsense. This is the fourth debate, the fourth debate that you would be voted in the first 20 minutes as the most obnoxious blowhard in America. So shut up for a while. Vivek never recovered. And it saddens me deeply because up to this point, I have really enjoyed Vivek rhymes with cake. But I think the fourth debate was the moment we saw his performance implode. And when he's so far behind... I, I think it will be difficult at this point to recover from. There's still always a chance, but I'll, I'll tell you more about how his performance was just lackluster, and in many ways he completely fell apart in the fourth Republican debate. But first, we have a few messages to get to, so I'll leave it uh, there and make sure to stay tuned right here to 93 WIBC. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Welcome back, Indianapolis. This is Saturday Night on the Circle, where we've been going over the performance of the candidates at the fourth Republican debate, which was largely dismal. However... A bright spot uh, this weekend was the WIBC Radiothon, where, according to producer Kurt, we have raised more than $400,000. What was that final total there, uh, producer Kurt? Last call I heard before we went off air, $400,060 raised for the Salvation Army. That is phenomenal. Dear listener, give yourself a round of applause for helping us achieve that and for helping stretch generosity, helping put food in the mouths of people who need it most, give them shelter. Um, It's a wonderful organization. And I'm glad that we have an opportunity to help support the Salvation Army each and every year. Now, let's get back into the coverage of the Republican debate. I thought that the performance from pretty much all of the candidates was dismal. Ron DeSantis winning overall, but Vivekan Ramaswamy in particular. Oh, it saddens me. Oh, it pains me to say 
I thought he collapsed. Um, it started with Chris Christie getting a few successful jabs, to, after which he was completely unable to recover, um, and he stooped to the lowest form of comedy, trying to ply at Chris Christie with a fat joke. Ugh, Vivek. Chris, your version of foreign policy experience was closing a bridge from New Jersey to New York. Yeah. So do everybody a favor, just walk yourself off that stage, enjoy a nice meal, yeah. and get the hell out of this yeah, race. When it comes to Nikki, Sad. Very sad. Sad. Okay, now this is fine if you're a pundit, if you're not a serious contender for the president, but I don't want that kind of behavior out of a, a serious candidate for office. I don't think it played well in the room. Clearly, I mean, you, clearly you heard the boos, um, and it did. It was not a good look for Vivek. He was never really able to recover throughout the debate. He made several uh, uh, faux pas, including trying and failing to recycle a line from a previous debate. Uh, remember Dick Cheney and Five Inch Heels? That was funny the first time he called Nikki Haley that, but circling back, it, it was less polished and it didn't come off the same way. These people are lying to you, the same people who told you about weapons and mass destruction in Iraq to justify that invasion, didn't know the first thing about it, yet they sent thousands of our sons and daughters to go die. The same people who told you the same in Afghanistan, where the Taliban is still in charge 20 years later. Seven trillion of our national debt due to these toxic neocons. You can put lipstick on a Dick Cheney, it is still a fascist Neocon. Thank and you, you Mr. Wallace. Thank it's you, Mr. Wallace. Dick Cheney Wami. all over again in okay. this part. Thank stop it! Stop it! Please! I beg you! It's a sin! It's a sin! It's a sin! And this wasn't even the most ridiculous moment from Vivek Ramaswamy. Oh, don't worry. We'll be saving the best for last. Um, but in the meantime, of course, there were other contenders, including Ron DeSantis. Um, now, although his de uh, performance overall was strong, he did drop this startling line in hour two of the debate, which I really haven't seen coming. Now, I'm all for stopping illegal immigration. I think most people are on the same page there. Uh, but but I, up to this point, understood Ron Policy's immigration to be a, 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 a tall wall with a wide gate, you know, it, providing ample opportunity for legal immigration for the individuals who want to come here and be part of the country legally. But according to Ron DeSantis, he also wants to severely limit legal immigration. Hmm? Look what's happened in Europe. You have more anti-Semitism in Germany than at any time since Adolf Hitler. Why? Because they imported mass numbers of people who reject their culture. Europe is committing suicide with the mass migration, and it's illegal and legal. Uh, Nikki Haley said the other day there should be no limits on, on legal immigration and that corporate CEOs should set the That's policy on that. There needs lying. to be limits on immigration. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. And we should not be importing people from cultures that are hostile. So, for example, I said with the Gaza, you had some of the, the, the squad wanted to import 300,000 people from the Gaza Strip. I said, no, we're not taking anyone from Gaza because of the anti-Semitism and because they reject American culture. So huh? we've got to get smart about this. We cannot let the United States be like Europe. But 
if they want to leave, doesn't that imply they're rejecting their culture? Like, I want to give everybody the opportunity to be part of the American experience if they they, they truly do wish to be a part of the culture. So, I mean, I do think that is a, a, an important component, but Ron DeSantis is engaging in a little bit of, like, science fiction thinking here. Not everybody from Gaza supports Hamas, particularly if they're trying to leave. You know, it's like painting with a broad brush. They do this all the time in, like, Star Trek, you know, like, Oh, the Klingons, they're the warrior race. They're all hyper-aggressive. Like every single peop, uh, member of this species behaves in a particular and predictable way. But that's not how humans are. That's not like real people from Gaza are. And if they want to leave, then they should have the opportunity. Now, maybe there are other countries that would be better suited for them to emigrate to. And maybe that should be a first stop as opposed to jumping straight to America. I can agree with that. But severely limiting legal immigration? I don't know. I, I think you need to pump the brakes on that kind of rhetoric. Now, uh, he did make some valid points about Donald Trump in particular. I thought this, you know, uh, him and Chris Christie made important points about Donald Trump's policy positions and what he actually did while he was president, not always living up to the promises that he made. This was Ron DeSantis' point. Look, uh, the media is making a big deal about what he said about some of these comments. I would just remind people uh, that is not how he governed. He didn't even fire Dr. Fauci. He didn't fire Christopher Wray. He didn't clean up the swamp. He said he was going to drain it. He did not drain it. He said he was going to build a wall and have Mexico pay for it. We don't have the wall. Uh, he did say in 2016 he'd have the largest deportation program in history. He deported less than Barack Obama did when Barack Obama was president. So some of the some of these policies he ran on in 16, I was cheering him on. On then, but he didn't deliver it. Here's what I can promise people. 100% of the things I promised as governor, I delivered on those promises. I beat the left time and time again, and that's what I'll do for you as president. we got to start winning again as a party. Yes, win the election, but we've got to start getting these issues. I will go in and wreak havoc on this bureaucracy. Like, isn't that refreshing? Doesn't Ron DeSantis do so much better when he just talks about his actual experience in office, when he talks about his successes in office? Like, that's what he should center his campaign around. That's the Ron DeSantis winning message is what he actually did as the executive of a state. And those skills are very directly applicable to what he could potentially offer for president of the United States. Now, this debate was a disaster. Overall, I think it was poorly managed. And this was a point I was listening, uh, I think it was Tuesday, Tuesday uh, to Tony Katz. And he was mentioning that Megyn Kelly is a miserable debate moderator. And overall, I think I completely agree. They didn't even know how to operate the microphones. Like at a certain point when everybody is talking over each other, just cut the mics. Yeah, I, I see producer uh, uh, Kurt gesturing, turning down the pots. It's so easy to do. You got somebody sitting in front of a soundboard, but for whatever reason, they chose not to engage, and you had ridiculous moments like this. I mean, peppered throughout the entire debate. This was stupid. Governor DeSantis. No, they you're wouldn't. A smart, they would say that you're they, a smart they would man. Argue that the, no, they would. No, they wouldn't. They would Chris. strike the answer no, they because you're not answering it. You is he fit? Like, you, have your, you have no. your thing. Is he you fit or isn't he? Thing. No, I don't have my thing. We don't. He's the thing. Is we he do fit not or isn't want he? To do you're talking that's about him being 80, 80 years old. It doesn't mean that somebody couldn't get elected. That's not even the people that Governor DeSantis, let him have his thing. Governor DeSantis, let him have his thing. Governor DeSantis, let him have his thing. I think we have an opportunity to do somebody who is in the prime. 
time in their life. life. Yes. We don't have to no worry about all this stuff with confidence. Stop. 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 We can get it done. We'll do it. I'm going to come to you. Finish. And like it continued, I could have played more, but that's enough. And it happened. I want. I'll talk, I'll talk about like all the time during the debate. We only have two hours minus commercial breaks. You got a minute and a half response per question. It goes fast, and it goes faster when you're wasting it on things that people can't even understand because you're all talking over each other. This is basic microphone management. And that was just. That was dumb. That was dumb. That's almost as dumb as Vivek Ramaswamy's crowning final comment. This was, I think this was part of his closing statement. I don't even know what to do with this, Producer Kurt. This is bizarre. This is so strange. I'll just roll the clip. We'll see what you think. The real enemy is not Donald Trump. It's not even Joe Biden. It is the deep state that at least Donald Trump attempted to take on. And if you want somebody who's going to speak truth to power, then vote for somebody who's going to speak the truth to you. Why am I the only person on the stage, at least, who can say that January 6th now does look like it was an inside job? That the government lied to us for 20 years about Saudi Arabia's involvement in 9-11. That the great replacement theory is not some grand right-wing conspiracy theory, but a basic statement of the Democratic Party's platform. How could this have happened? A black white supremacist. This is this is strange. Vivek Ramaswamy talking about the reality of the great replacement theory, which if you're not familiar, is the idea that slowly the white majority of the country is being replaced by minorities from abroad. And this is a, a plan from the deep state in order to alter permanently the demographics of Vivek, Vivek, have you looked in a mirror recently? Like the, the people who believe and support the great replacement theory, they're talking about you, my friend. This is, this is bizarre. I'm not electing my mom in Nikki Haley, and I'm also not electing Clayton Bigham. So uh, sadly, up to this point, I, I, I had been behind Vivek uh, Rhymes with Cake, but that was, that was ridiculous. <laughs> and we have more ridiculousness coming up because the next segment is Hat Tricks with Hatcher, where we present the finest moments in political stupidity for your uh, consideration and entertainment. So stay tuned for that coming up next. This is Saturday Night on The Circle on 93 WIPC. to 93 WIBC Saturday night on The Circle where this week we'll examine uh, FBI Director Chris Ray revealing they have to be very careful when participating in election rigging. Also, Donald Trump apparently has something in common with Democrat Raphael Warnock of Georgia. Also, uh, Anthony Blinken reveals that there is no plan to get American hostages out of Gaza uh, in a failure of the State Department. All of that you'll hear for this week's edition of Hat Tricks with Hatcher. 
It's time for another one of Hatcher's Hat Tricks. The story you are about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle, 93 WIBC. I'm your bespectacled curmudgeon, Ethan Hatcher, and that's producer Kurt. Beep, 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 pushing the buttons and doing the things to make the show function. We begin this week with... Raphael Warnock uh, making some commentary on the Senate floor. Turns out he and Donald Trump have something in common because they both believe that voter suppression exists in Georgia. I have to respond uh, to the senator from Ohio, not the chair, uh, who apparently takes great umbrage to the words or the letters sent by the leaders of these institutions uh, responding to the voter suppression bill that was passed in Georgia. I know a little something about voter suppression in Georgia. (laughs) Today is, in fact, the one-year anniversary of my election in Georgia. But my election should not give people the false impression that there's no voter suppression in Georgia. (laughs) Oh, wait, you're serious. Let me laugh even harder. There was record turnout that year. I mean, like, he's just reporting, of course, the same lies that Steve uh, Stacey Abrams propagates because she was a sore loser. But Donald Trump, too, saying the same thing. Oh, well, there was voter suppression. You just need to find 13,000 more votes. But Raphael Warnock won, and he's like, oh, well, yeah, there's still voter suppression in Georgia. So I guess the president and the senator on the same page there. Who knew that the president, Republican President Donald Trump would have so much in common with an extreme leftist like Raphael Warnock, especially about the uh, Georgia election. But there you go. Now, Christopher Wray, he also was testifying before Congress, uh, speaking with uh, 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 Kennedy, um, and and he he, he basically revealed— that the FBI, although they knew the laptop, Hunter Biden's laptop was legitimate, they couldn't intervene or verify its authenticity because, you know, they got to be very careful when they're rigging an election. You're not part of the White House and part of Homeland Security. You're not supposed to be political. You see all this controversy going on. Why didn't the FBI say, time out, folks, we're not getting in the middle of this, but the laptop's real. Again, we have to be very careful about what we can say, especially in the middle of uh, an election season. Ah, ah, he said it. He said it. Ah, ah, there it is. There it is. Be careful what you say during an election season. Yeah, because you know that would have changed the results. I, what was it, like 11% of voters uh, would have changed their vote had they known that the Hunter Biden laptop was real at the time. And the media did everything they could to suppress that story when our own intelligence gathering agencies had already verified its authenticity so that they were covering for Joe Biden. There were operatives within the government that were dabbling to interfere with the results of an election. Like, that was was the October surprise the uh, what had been a derailed Trump campaign needed to inject in order to help it cross the finish line and we were denied that because of the FBI and of course Donald Trump didn't even bother to remove Christopher Ray ah imagine a world where he might have done that draining the swamp like he promised now Joe Biden, he also was doing an interview this week, making uh, circling back to a claim he's made before, although a false one, that he was a prof- professor who taught classes at the University of Pennsylvania and a law professor. I taught at the University of Pennsylvania for four years. I also taught uh, at, at law school. And uh, the idea that democracy is inevitable is just not true. You're a liar. 
You're a liar! You know something that you're not telling us, you slimy scumbag liar! Untrue. At best, he was an adjunct professor, and he helped co-teach a weekend class. He didn't perform any of the normal duties one would associate with being a professor. He wasn't creating research. He he, he wasn't in, you know initiating and authoring research. He wasn't participating in the daily function of classrooms or grading papers or doing any of that. Like he was an associate professor because they wanted to buy a name in Joe Biden, but they weren't buying him to be a professor and he never really acted in uh, that capacity so you know more lies coming from the biden administration which itself completely impotent uh, a blinken anthony blinken uh, secretary of state he was uh, discussing that really there is no plan that we know of to get the uh, hostages out of Gaza. Now, Israel has been quite successful in uh, trading uh, trading hostages and getting including American citizens home in ways that the State Department hasn't. So our, our ally Israel is able to accomplish things that the its much larger partner can't. And this speaks to the utter impotence of the Biden administration and its uh, State Department representative, Abe Lincoln. I always say this, Mr. Secretary, that for all these hostages, there are numbers for some people, but for the family members they are somebody's everything. So can you share with us, Absolutely. if you can, specifically what you guys are doing? Hey, Blinken. Did you say Abe Lincoln? No, I say Abe Lincoln. I said, hey, Blinken, hold the reins, man. Look, I, you'll understand I can't get into the, the, the details because this is literally going on daily and even more than daily, sometimes even hourly, trying to find a, a way, an angle to get this to get this restarted. But there is no plan. They weren't able to provide any specifics, and we haven't made any progress. Israel has made more progress than America has, and we're what, what, more than a month into the conflict now. This is insane. But it speaks to the weakness that is projected under this administration. Now, we also have weakness within the Congress uh, because Democrats like Eric Swalwell have been uh, plied by Chinese spies. And Eric Swalwell, he feels like he was victimized in that situation where he was consorting with a communist spy. I want to speak, though, to a larger concern that I have with the bill. And I first want to speak personally, because there's nobody on this committee who has been a bigger victim of the weaponization of the intelligence <laughs> community than me. I have had my cell phone data subpoenaed and procured by the Trump administration. In 2012, in a district with 40% Asian Americans, an Asian volunteer helped my campaign. I was later asked by the FBI to help that, to help the FBI understand who this person was. I did, cooperated. They took care of a threat I was not aware of. Hey, I've heard this call before. I'll bet you have. So he's not upset that he was being spied on by the communist Chinese. He's upset that he was called to task for it. He was upset they got uncovered during the Trump administration. That's what he was upset for. He feels, oh, I've been treated unfairly by the intelligence community. Not the communist Chinese intelligence community, the American, the U.S. intelligence community. This guy's a joke. Speaking of jokes, uh, uh, Jamal Bowman, also their uh, Democrat member of Congress, he, this was glorious, silver lining, to the stupidity from this week, but he was finally censured for pulling the fire alarm and bringing the vote to a screeching halt because he pulled that stunt. 
By its adoption of House Resolution 914, the House has resolved that the House of Representatives censures Jamal Bowman, representative from the 16th Congressional District of New York, that Representative Jamal Bowman forthwith present himself in the well of the House of Representatives for the pronouncement of censure, and that Representative Jamal Bowman be censured with the public reading of this resolution by the Speaker. Boom. Roasted. And the good times keep rolling because for the second time, making him the most indicted relative of a sitting U.S. president in history, Hunter Biden being brought again with indictments for tax dodging. We have breaking news to report a federal grand jury has indicted President Biden's son, Hunter Biden, for tax evasion. <laughs> Earlier this year, Hunter Biden had entered into a plea agreement with the Justice Department on two misdemeanor tax charges, but the deal collapsed after facing scrutiny from a U.S. District Court judge. Hunter was indicted in September by another federal grand jury in Delaware on felony charges that he lied about being a drug user on an application to buy a gun. He pleaded not guilty to those charges. <laughs> oh, my. We're surrounded by such collapse, corruption, and societal decay. You got to take, take a win when you can and enjoy the good times while they're here. Thanks for listening to Saturday Night on The Circle. Coming up next, we'll tell you about a surprising uh, explosion in Arlington, Virginia earlier this week. Investigators still trying to figure out what happened there, and we'll tell you about it up next. You're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle on 93 WIPC. Welcome back. This is Saturday Night on The Circle, 93 WIBC. I am the bespectacled curmudgeon Ethan Hatcher. This segment is going to tell you about an explosion that happened in Arlington, Virginia. But before we get into this, maybe producer Kurt can help answer the question if, uh, like Jason Hammer, I too am a horrible person. Because I read this story published on our website, 93 WIBC, of a poor elderly woman, 89 years old, who was killed in her home by her pet Pitbull. County coroner decided uh, that she had died after the dogs attacked. Uh, according to Sheriff Edward Schroeder, they said that the large-scale search for the dog ended with no success. So, like, the 100-pound dog that attacked this poor woman escaped into the wild, and as far as I know, they haven't captured it yet. So if you are aware or see this dog with a black and white uh, chest who's not wearing a collar, you can call the Sheriff's Department at 574-753-7800. Don't approach it, obviously, because it's already killed at least one person. But this this seems to me to be a repeated theme with pit bulls. And I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for this. Look, I like the fluffy animals. I like cats, but I also like dogs. And I've met plenty of lovely, perfectly fine, nice, affectionate pit bulls. But whenever you hear about one of these stories, whether it's a baby getting eaten or an old woman getting mauled, it's a pit bull. At a certain point, this kind like, what do you expect? This is kind of like a, a, a Sigfield Roy's tiger. At a certain point, you're playing with fire. Fire. Like, does this make me a horrible person to point out that pit bulls, in particular, seem to pose a greater danger than other breeds? No, because you only hear stories like this regarding pit bulls, right? right? So right. I, I think it's just in there. I guess there's some sweet pit bulls out there that are raised right. You don't know how this dog was also brought up, stuff like that. But at the same time, we always hear these stories. It was a pit bull that did this, and what they say when a pit bull tastes blood for the first time. 
it's it's going to be you got to stay away from like you and, said. and let's look at the percentages because this is something that you can definitely look up yes there are other aggressive dogs like chows or chihuahuas really aggressive little dogs but you can punt a chihuahua you cannot punt a pit bull um and the, also the frequency of the attacks the severity of the attacks like pit bulls really uh, outnumbering other breeds by a substantial margin so i i don't know this is this is a tragedy um but you know be mindful when selecting a, 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 a furry friend to share your house with. Speaking of houses, however, did you catch this, uh, Producer Kurt? There was an explosion in Virginia earlier this week. Bystanders watching a police warrant get served when this happened. The house flies in the air. Collapses back in on itself. So it looked like a gas explosion to me. I I am not an explosives expert, but I mean, the house whoosh, flew into the air, collapsed back in on itself, and it was over as quickly as it started. Fortunately, there was only one fatality believed to be the suspect, 56-year-old James Yu. Now, there's been limited warning of this kind of behavior. Uh, he, police were called to the property because earlier in the day, he had shot more than 30 flare gun rounds uh, around the neighborhood. And so they were executing a search warrant at his property uh, to ascertain the situation and check on his welfare when, of course, the whole house then subsequently blew up. They've had interactions with him for years, going back years, but they didn't think it was anything suspicious. Like, if anything, this appears to be a paranoid individual who is making reports to the FBI about conspiracies against him. Like, he believed people were out to get him. He thought neighbors, according to social media posts, were spying on him and conspiring against him and utilizing some of these you know, government services and intelligence agencies. So maybe when he sees the police coming or he is somehow alerted to their arrival, he then booby traps the house. Like, again, police still are working now with the FBI to try and uncover exactly what's happened here. But my goodness, what a... <laughs> What a strange set of circumstances um, for that to happen. Thanks for listening to 93 WIBC. We've got more content on the way, so stay tuned to Saturday Night on The Circle. In Hour 2, we're going to have uh, a friend of the show, Rob Kendall, on the program, and we're going to discuss a resounding victory for John Russ' campaign uh, as Marion County Judge has struck down an iniquitous state law which would... Uh, uh, make voter vo which made voting requirements associated with your party affiliation on the ticket. So we we'll give you the de details about that coming up next. Plus, so much more. So don't miss a moment of Saturday night on the Circle on ninety three WIBC. is Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIBC. 
Welcome back to Saturday Night on The Circle. I'm Ethan Hatcher, your square peg in this round world. Find my podcast uploaded weekly to WIBC.com and Saturday Night on The Circle.fireside.fm. Plus, hop in the comments while we're streaming live on the YouTube machine. Basically, rascally establishment Republicans have been dealt a substantial blow by a Marion County judge striking down a law which attached voting requirements to a candidate's party affiliation, ruling it unconstitutional. Here to help explain this victory for liberty and election freedom is the father of the year, acclaimed broadcaster and noted provocateur. He's one half of the Kendall and Casey show. Rob Kendall joins the program once again. Hello, sir. Ethan, boy, I should pay you big money for that introduction. Hello, my friend. (laughs) I'm happy to have you a part of the program once again, because I know this issue is near and dear to your heart. When I saw it come down on Thursday, I was so excited. Here's the reporting from Fort Wayne, W-A-N-E. A judge in Marion County rules John Rust should be allowed to run as Republican for U.S. Senate. Today's decision called the Indiana law unconstitutional. That law had required candidates to have voted in consecutive party primary elections or receive permission from a county chairperson. Yes! Yes! Oh, I was so excited to see this decision handed down because regardless of however John Rust pans out, this is a win for the Hoosier voter. It's a win for election transparency, for candidate freedom, for election. Like, I'm all for this, Rob, and I know you're energized, too. So let's help me break down what this means to your Hoosier voters. Yeah, so for years, the Republicans, because they control everything in Indiana, have written the laws to keep what they deem undesirables Mm -hmm. out. And that is essentially, we'll take your money as a taxpayer, but we are going to write the law so that we can control who runs for public office. And if we don't like you or we don't think we can control you, we will put mechanisms in to keep it so that you can't even run for public office. 80% of the state of Indiana is essentially ineligible to run for one of the two major parties under the law as it was written. And that was a major reason the judge threw the law out, which said you had to have voted in the primary of the party you're wanting to run for the last two, your two most recent primary votes, or you can't run. It was totally, it was totally to rig the elections. It was totally to give the party freedom on who they want to run and who they want to elect. And the judge said, you can't do this in the state of Indiana. It violates the state constitution. Well, don't forget the most important addendum to that law, which has just been dealt a blow because yes, you would be prevented from running if you didn't vote in the last two primary elections, but there was an exception you see for the county chair could grant you permission to be on the ticket if you qualified by the uh, establishment Republican standards like that's the most insidious part and there's definitely a conflict of interest there when you have the government essentially granting you permission to allow you to run for elected office like that is antithetical to the freedoms enshrined in our constitution and I'm thrilled to see this just stinker of a law uh, 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 put you know, put on the skids here. Yeah, so the, the big thing is, because people have said, and they said, well, I cannot believe you're supporting John Rust. I'm not supporting John Rust. I have right. no idea what his views are, but it's not about John Rust. John mm-hmm. Rust was just a guy who's rich enough 
to provide legal counsel necessary to challenge and defeat this law. So by that standard, literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people will benefit based on John Rust using his own money to challenge and defeat this election law. We'll see how it does on appeal. I know uh, Todd Rokita has asked the Supreme Court to take to take the case up on appeal. But if it was, if was it Rokita or was it Morales? I thought Morales was the person named in the, in the suit who would uh, well, be appealing. But, but t- Todd Rokita is the chief election officer for, or the chief law enforcement officer okay. for the state is is representing the, the state. Now, here's the other thing that people need to realize. Todd Rokita, because he's a complete incompetent buffoon as an attorney, didn't try this case himself. <laughs> they went out and hired and spent huge amounts of taxpayer money to hire a super lawyer named Jim Bopp. Now, what that means is the state of Indiana is so invested, and by state of Indiana, we mean the Republicans, are so invested in trying to keep regular people from running for public office that Todd Rokita, who has hundreds, literally hundreds of attorneys at his disposal that you're already paying for as the uh, for him as attorney general, said, no, 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 that's not good enough. We're so invested in defeating this, we're going to spend more money to hire an outside attorney, and they got nothing for it. And this doesn't even guarantee John Rust a position on the ticket because he still has to get all those signatures and all the individual counties and mount the ground-level electoral campaign in order to be on the ballot. So this isn't a guarantee. And then, as you pointed out, of course, Todd Rakita Diego Morales could choose to uh, appeal this ruling as well. Do you think it's likely they will? Are establishment Republicans so invested in gatekeeping who's allowed to run for elected office within the state of Indiana that they're actually going to make a big enough stink and try to uh, mount a defense for this in a court of law? Well, Rokita's already asked the Supreme Court to take the case on appeal. No, whether okay. they will or not, who knows? However, the really interesting thing, and this, this, this law, this ruling by this judge was so well done, he systematically picked apart on multiple fronts why this this law was unconstitutional. What's really interesting, though, is and he references it and he doesn't go into great detail. But if you read the judge's ruling, you are led to believe that this judge, while not interpreting it because that was not what was in front of him, is also saying that the signature requirement is likely unconstitutional. So, Ethan, there's a real chance we're going to live in a world. If John Russ can't get the signatures now, maybe he will, maybe he won't. But then we could also see him challenge the signature requirement. So for those of you who don't know what that is, you have to get 500 verified signatures in all nine congressional districts. That may sound simple. I've done it as a part of a Senate campaign. It's about $100,000 to $150,000 operation. And again, these laws are there. To desi- they're designed to keep regular people from running for public office. Look at who uh, who ran in 2018. It's Mike Braun, who was super rich. It's Todd Rokita, who was a congressman. It's Luke Messer, who, who was, a, was a congressman. Look at the U.S. Senate race in 2022. Todd Young was the only one who could get on the ballot. They threw Danny Niederberger off because he didn't get the signatures. Look at who's running this time. It's John Rust, who's super rich, and it's, it's Jim Banks. Uh, who's a sitting congressman. That's the Republicans do this because they want to control who runs because they are the puppet masters. Be still my beating heart, Rob. You're giving me brand new information here. I didn't understand not only was this dealing a blow to their voting requirements, but you're saying this could also be snowballed into defeating the signature requirement to get 
on the ballot. Like, that would be huge. I mean, that would be a Christmas miracle. I'd be excited to see that happen. I mean, you know, because we were just saying he still has to get the signatures, but, I mean, he has the infinite money, so... <laughs> he'll, he'll probably... So, Ethan, John Russell will probably get the signatures because he okay. is super wealthy and he can easily pay somebody to do it. But it will set up and it will take somebody to legally challenge the signature requirement who has resources. But, if again... The judge did not rule specifically on this in this case because that was not the challenge no, in front no, of him. But he opened However, the door. He did, yeah, he did dabble into it, and he basically awesome. said, "If this thing were to come back in front of me or to another judge, there's a there's a chance that that signature requirement would be ruled unconstitutional because it's the same barrier to entry that we're talking about here, and that's what this is all about. Political parties who take public money." are creating barrier to entry to run for public office, and there's nowhere in the Indiana Constitution that gives political parties the ability to create that barrier. Well, it's also completely antithetical to the values enshrined within our Constitution and the idea of representative government being that any citizen can step forward and be elected on the strength of their own ideas. So to be stopped and stymied and gatekeeped by the parties in government, I, I mean, I think is a slap in the face to our founding fathers. This is ridiculous. Well, and if you look at it, it's been fascinating to see the reaction from the Republicans who are just up in arms over sure. it. And, he, and, and I'll tell you who looks really bad on this is the whining from Jim Banks. I mean, Jim Banks <laughs> starts with every advantage possible he's been in. And I, I think in the judge's ruling, he even mentioned this, Jim Banks was endorsed by the state party. How are we expected to get a fair election uh, election standards from a state party who is actively endorsing people. They've already put their thumb on the scale for Jim Banks, and yet Jim Banks was on Twitter whining like a pathetic, spoiled little brat that he might actually have primary competition. It was gross. Well, these people believe they are entitled to office, be it through the gatekeeping uh, you know, and the hurdles that are put into Indiana state law, or be it through the appointment process, an uh, uh, insidious uh, little loophole that you have pointed to a number of of times whereby elected representatives are uh, 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 stepping aside from their elected positions before the term is up and allowing the Indiana establishment Republicans to select their hand-picked replacement and giving them the benefit of an incumbent, uh, incumbent position. So like at every level, the system is being rigged. And to see that being chipped away, at least to some degree, by this Marion County judge, you know, again, regardless of John Russell intentions or ultimate outcome there this is cool i'm happy yeah i mean think about what just happened with the state comptroller so you've got tara klutz who runs for re-election last year you know you're running for a four-year term she runs and she wins over a million people vote for her and then within months of being re-elected she goes eh, i don't think i want to do this anymore and she quits mm -hmm. well, who does the governor appoint he appoints someone named elise nishala Who's Elise Nishala? Well, she just ran for state treasurer in 2022 and lost to Daniel Elliott. Oh, so you don't win? You don't even have to try again. You can just get appointed again. Oh, and by the way, what was Elise Nishala? She was the president of the Boone County Council. What's Boone County? That's the home of the Leap District. Put all the things together, Ethan. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. The system is rigged, I think, is the heart of this operation, uh, which, again, is why I'm so thrilled to see this ruling come down. All it takes is an enormous treasure chest to make these uh, Christmas miracles come true. Yeah, well, like I said, Ethan, <laughs> we need more rich friends, and I'm glad uh, John Ruff, whether he's a friend or foe or somewhere in between, used his money 
to help other people. Hopefully this ruling will stand up on appeal and it will enable more people to be a part of the political process. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thanks for spending some time with us, Rob. Appreciate it. Thank you, Ethan. Yeah, appreciate you, buddy. Thanks for listening to 93 WIBC. Stay tuned for more Saturday night on The Circle. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Welcome back to Saturday Night on the Circle. It's a pleasure to be here. As always, I'm your square peg in this round world, Ethan Hatcher. Producer Kurt, pushing the buttons, doing the things to make the show function. We appreciate your work, Kurt. All right, this segment I wanted to share with you Some interesting statistics about shoplifting crime across the United States. As you may or may not be aware, there was more than $45 billion in reported retail theft by by store owners across the fruited plains of the United States. Now, believe it or not, a full tenth of that theft, $4.4 billion representative of New York State alone better yet in manhattan in new york city the most significant portion of these shoplifting crimes committed by just a little over 350 people who've been arrested collectively thousands of times by law enforcement thousands of times nothing done this is this is ridiculous joe rogan was talking about this on his podcast and talking about some of the statistics the the shoplifting statistics about new york of all of the shoplifting, it's like 600 people, and they've been arrested thousands of times. Thousands of times. Thousands of times. See if you can find the statistics, because it's, it's so crazy, you can't believe that that's really it. In New York, it takes two cops to arrest you. So here it is. Okay. Oh, excuse me. Only 327 people. Collectively, they were arrested and rearrested more than 6,000 times. Hey, maybe you should lock those folks up, and you'd stop all of the shoplifting. <laughs> Democrats are utterly unserious about addressing the rampant criminality within their cities. It's as as if they're happy to bring on the decay. I mean, it's a real head-scratcher to me because, of course, this will repel business, retailers, success from your city. And any representative, you would think, would wish for the success of their metropolitan area. Not so in New York, where uh, Buffalo shop owners like Stephen Lands. As he says he may be, might be forced to close his shop, blaming the soft-on-crime policy of New York, saying police blame it on bail reform. They say they can't arrest these criminals, and it would be just an appearance ticket, so it's not worth coming, I guess. Now, showing you how unserious Democrats are of addressing and tackling this issue, the governor of the state, uh, Kathy Hochul, vetoed a bipartisan bill, so something which advanced through the legislature, and she's like, nah, Nothing doing. Uh, The bill would have created a task force to combat organized retail theft. She rejected this proposal, which would have created the 15-member panel made up of experts appointed by the governor herself, the legislature, and the state attorney general, which would have uh, put together a list of recommendations to respond to the retail theft. And and nothing doing. Um, (laughs) I mean, this this is what you get when you elect Democrats. They are utterly unserious about addressing the issue. They will try to defray blame, in this case, other leaders like Brandon Johnson of Chicago, blaming white supremacists 
and Republicans for unfairly somehow targeting these Democrat cities that have rampant criminality. And that is the that is the fault you see, not of the soft on crime policies, not of the bail reform, not of letting these 350 uh, uh, retail criminals go collectively thousands of times. No, no. The problem is Republicans. Well, there has to be better coordination. You know, what we've seen is a very raggedy form um, instituted by right-wing extremism. Um, everyone knows that the right-wing extremism in this country has targeted democratically ran cities. And quite frankly, uh, we've been very intentional about going after democratically ran cities that are led by people of color. And their whole motivation is to create disruption and chaos because that's what this that particular party has been about. Right? This is the same political party that did not want to accept that President Obama was actually an American. It's the same Republican right-wing extremism that stormed the Capitol. It's the same right-wing extremism that refuses to accept the results of the Civil War. It's ragged. What? It's disrespectful. It's mean-spirited. It's an unclean spirit, quite frankly. And so, so I got you. I got you. I just want to make sure that people understand what we're facing. That's your affair. A bum. That's what he is. A bum. This is utterly absurd. To the extent I've heard people question the legitimacy of the 2020 election, I've never heard anybody question the outcome or legitimacy of the U.S. Civil War. What is this? How does that connect with the rampant criminality in Chicago or New York or Indianapolis or any other major de uh, Democrat supermajority major uh, metropolitan area. I mean, it, it is literally repeated from executive to, uh, from city executive to city executive, whether it's the state entire state of New York, in that case, with the governor and the mayor, Eric Adams, or whether it's uh, Brandon Johnson in Chicago, Joe Hogsett here in Indianapolis, or in Los Angeles as well, wherever you go, the stench, the decay, the criminality follows these disastrous Democrat policies. What's worse is when people choose to support it and continue to do so, but are oblivious and unable to draw the connection between electing these Democrat nitwits and the criminality within their own communities. This is a business owner in uh, Los Angeles uh, who was bemoaning the fact that he voted for Mayor Karen Bass. He voted for Gov uh, Governor Gavin Newsom, voted for Joe Biden, but unable to draw the connection between his decaying community and the electoral decisions of himself and I'm sure many of his friends. You are currently being recorded. Inside, they took whatever they could carry, including music equipment, Bagley and his brother, former band members, stored inside. You can hear the alarm and spotted guitar. Stole six of our guitars, a bunch of studio mics and stuff like that. Rustled some stuff out, some, some uh, construction in our construction side. They stole a bunch of tools. Thousands of dollars worth of valuables, demolished doors and gates. Bagley says the alarm company woke him at 5.03 a.m. when the break-in was still underway. And he managed to get there even before cops. But the suspects were gone. And I came in ready to rustle them out of there and just be like, you know, I'm, I wanted to at least take down a few of them. His business now boarded up and Bagley... Bagley is fed up with the break-ins and elected officials. I voted for Karen Bass. I voted for Biden. I voted for Gavin Newsom. I'm sick of it. It's like at some point you have to give me a reason to vote for you again. Or just do our jobs, make a living, help our employees make a good living, and move on. But it's really freaking difficult to survive. 
Look, here comes the consequence, 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 consequences of my actions chasing me right now. I don't want no consequence, consequence, consequence. I don't want no consequences chasing me right now. Someone take this consequence, consequence, consequence. Someone take this consequence and chasing me right now. So unable to seemingly draw the connection between his choices for representative and the decay he's surrounded by, I'd like to say this is a one-off incident, except it's repeated here in our own local community just coming off the November elections in Indianapolis. Joe Hogsett winning handily, not even close to Jefferson Shreve. Now, Jefferson Shreve has a lot of blame to share in that with his disastrous policies in and of themselves, policy proposals that alienated his uh, voting base from even turning out. That said, many of the people who happily voted for the re-election of Joe Hogsett are the same people who repeatedly, you know, talked with pollsters and talked with local reporters and said their number one issue was the crime rate in the city of Indianapolis, as it should be, considering that year by year we've crossed triple-digit homicides nearing record highs every year since 2020. Not the way the city should be going, but here we have Joe Hogsett reelected quite handily, what quite easily, um, and, and you will see a repeat of the same kind of policies, the same kind of soft on crime approach, which we've seen not only affecting small businesses here in the city of Indianapolis, I mean, talk about $4.4 billion of retail theft, but also in the murder rate. When you let individuals who have been convicted of making violent threats, uh, like the scumbag who uh, murders his girlfriend in front of the church preschool uh, last year, already having been convicted and let out again to commit crime. This will continue to happen as long as de Democrats are allowed to remain unaccount uh, 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 held without accountability. Um, and the only way that you can hold them to any kind of accountability is by changing the, uh, the, the office, making a different selection, uh, putting somebody else into the position. Uh, it's an uphill battle, seemingly, but the only way that you'll ever be able to start making progress is hopefully educate the voters and help them to draw the connections between the disastrous policies that are withering their city and the electoral decisions that they make. And one great way that we could uh, help that effort is by eliminating straight ticket voting. But that's a separate discussion. Thanks for listening to Saturday Night on The Circle. We've got a lot more content to come, so stay tuned to 93 WIBC. Wasn't the only answer. It's the opinion of the entire staff that Dexter is criminally insane. Same, 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 same. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. That boy needs therapy. Welcome back to Saturday Night on the Circle. I know many of you were quite frustrated with me a few weeks ago when I played the other parts of that Stephen Colbert interview with John Fetterman, the infamous interview where he said, oh, they're not sending their best and brightest to Washington. And then everybody was like, ah, John Fetterman, <laughs> don't you know, they're talking about you. That was a funny clip, but... The other parts of his exchange with Stephen Colbert, especially the parts where he was talking about his, short, his shortcomings, uh, his uh, dealings with uh, failing health, he came across as surprisingly charming. And yes, there's a lot to criticize with John John Fetterman. I don't want to get that, uh, uh, you know, understated in any any capacity. There's there's a lot to criticize, a lot not to like. Obviously, part of the opposition. He doesn't share Republican values, but. 
even a broken clock can be right twice a day. Not only was that interchange, uh, interchange with Stephen Colbert somewhat charming, but now he is taking the Democrats to task for not having uh, equal representation of justice by uh, expelling George Santos, but leaving Bob Menendez completely off the hook. An apt observation. This was something he was uh, bringing up in several exchanges he's had with media figures, but also The View. And uh, you've also been calling for to get rid of uh, Menendez, I know. Um, but first, before we talk about that, what's your reaction to the exp expulsion? Well, it's like uh, I'm not surprised, but but to me, I think the the more important picture is is that we have a colleague in, in the Senate that actually did much more sinister and, and serious kinds of things. Uh, Senator Menendez, uh, he needs to go. Uh, yes. And if you are going to expel Santos, how can you allow to somebody like Menendez to remain in the Senate? And you know, Santos's kind of lies were almost you know funny and like you know he. You know, landed on the the moon and a guy kind of stuff. Uh, whereas, whereas, you know, I you know I think you know Menendez I think is really a senator for Egypt, you know, not New Jersey. Uh, so I, I I really think he needs to go, and uh, especially it's kind of strange that if Santos uh, is not allowed to remain in the House, you know, someone like that. Yeah. Are you though uncomfortable with the fact that there hasn't been an adjudication that while he's been charged there hasn't been a conviction? Menendez with Menendez. Uh, I, I, I am. I, I am. And it's like he has the right uh, to, for his, his day in court and all that. But he doesn't have the right to to have those kind of votes and things that uh, yeah. that's not that's not a right. And and I think uh, we need to make that kind of decision to uh, send him out. He's out of line, but he's right. More than happy to applaud John Fetterman for pointing out the inconsistency among Democrats. Now, producer, uh, producer Kurt, have you followed the George Santos debacle to any degree whatsoever? Okay, this guy, let me tell you, this is hysterical. He has told, and I'm talking about some real whoppers, probably my favorite just to show you what kind of liar George Santos is, was when he claimed to have Jewish heritage and his grandparents survived the Holocaust. Well, turns out his grandparents survived the Holocaust because they lived in Brazil. So they were nowhere near the Holocaust. They survived the Holocaust in the same way many Americans survived Vietnam because they were never drafted. <laughs> and they, as far as Jewish heritage, they're not Jewish either. He, he didn't mean, oh, I share the ethnicity of the Jewish people. No, no, no. He means, he said, I'm Jew-ish, not Jewish. <laughs> so, so that's George Santos. And that's bad enough. And he does absolutely deserve to be expelled from Congress for his many antics, including campaign finance violations. But if he deserves to be expelled from Congress, then... Absolutely, Bob Menendez does. This guy, if you weren't following George Santos, I'm going to assume you probably weren't following Bob Menendez either. Okay, so investigators are ser serving a warrant on his uh, on his house, and they find gold bars in his safe. They find in excess, I think, of four hundred thousand dollars in cash. Okay, he's coordinating with Egyptian officials. He's selling in, you know, uh, United States information. I mean, this guy is 
charged with some serious, serious levels of corruption. Now, of course, all this alleged is alleged at this point. It hasn't, you know, gone through a court of law. But neither has George Santos. George Santos is still embroiled with legal woes, and they were all too happy to kick his behind the curb. So absolutely, Bob Menendez should be ousted, and I'm so glad John Fetterman is pointing it out. Not only is he pointing it out, he's going a step further. He's trolling George Santos. George Santos, obviously being the schmuck that he is, is so egotistical that he has a cameo, uh, a cameo profile. Now, do you know what Cameo is? Okay, producer Kurt knows what Cameo is. It's this website where you can order basically videos uh, from celebrities for a nominal fee that varies from, from user to user. I'm not sure what George Santos is charging, but you can commission George Santos to send you a personal message. And that's exactly what John Fetterman did, asking George Santos to uh, uh, give some encouragement to his friend Bobby from New Jersey. Hey, Bobby. Uh, look, I don't think I need to tell you, but these people that want to make you get in trouble and want to kick you out and make you run away, you make them put up or shut up. You stand your ground, sir, and don't get bogged down by all the haters out there. <laughs> Stay strong. Merry Christmas. Isn't that great, producer Kurt? <laughs> $200 per cameo. For George Santos? I just looked it up. George Santos cameo page charges $200 per video. Oh, my goodness. You can get, you can get actual <laughs> celebrities for less than $200. Yes. yes. Like, you can get that. Okay. Well, it was worth the $200 entry. For, that was my uh, question. Fee. Was it worth it? <laughs> yeah. Well, for that level of troll, absolutely. Abso-freaking-lutely. And John Fetterman, again, reiterating his position that absolutely, if you're going to go after George Santos, which you should, then you absolutely need to go after Bob Menendez for even worse alleged crimes. If Democrats don't expel him from the Senate, as you've been calling for, is your party forfeiting the moral <laughs> high ground here when it comes to corruption? Uh, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's really strange. It's strange to me. You know, uh, I, you know, I'm not anti Santos. I mean, it, it's just like, of course, he's done some really, you know, bizarre kind of lying and everything. But if, if you have to if you do, if you expel somebody like, you know, uh, George Santos, how can you allow somebody like, uh, you know, Senator Menendez remain in the Senate as well, too? Because I promise you that one of the main major differences between uh, representative, former Representative Santos and Senator Menendez is $300 million of munitions, you know, with Egypt as well, too. And uh, Santos is never uh, accused of being a, a foreign agent as well. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot more serious kinds of issues here. And we really need to expel Menendez in order just to be fair. I think I have, I think I have the soundbite, Producer Kerr. I, th I think I have the soundbite where he, he said he was Jewish. Let, let, let's see. I, this is from an earlier show, so we'll... The, live radio, ladies and gentlemen. You, you got another mask? Are you the CEO of Cash Backing? No. About several key details in his experience and biography. In an interview with the New York Post, Santos confessed to what he called embellishing his resume, but insists... He will serve in the next Congress. Santos confessed he had never worked directly for Goldman Sachs and Citigroup, chalking that fib up to a, quote, poor choice of words. He also admitted that he never graduated from any college, despite previously claiming to have received a degree from Baruch back in 2010. Where's the good stuff? Quote, 
I didn't graduate from any institution of higher learning. I'm embarrassed and sorry for having embellished my resume. I own up to that. We do stupid things in life. Santos was also accused of lying about his family history. Here we go. Saying on his campaign website that his mother was Jewish and his grandparents escaped the Nazis during World War II. I never claimed to be Jewish, Santos said. I am Catholic. Because I learned my maternal family had a Jewish background, I said I was Jew-ish. Let's do that again. <laughs> Santos says that he's not Jewish, he's Jew-ish. I'm glad we cleared that up. <laughs> the real crime is why nobody managed to f like fact check i mean anything about this guy before he was actually elected to congress you want to talk about your local journalists dropping the ball like we didn't find any of this stuff out until after the fact this is ridiculous but yeah if george's gotta go so's bobby that there there's the uh uh encapsulation there there's the headline thanks for listening to 93 wibc we're going to be wrapping things up in the next segment taylor swift the recipient of a prestigious award we'll tell you about it up next you're listening to saturday night on the circle on 93 wibc Welcome back to Saturday Night on The Circle, where we're wrapping things up for the evening. Taylor Swift, I'm sure you've heard, has achieved the prestigious nomination of Time Person of the Year. They were talking about this on Fox and & Friends, and they think Tay-Tay deserves it because America needs a good love story right now. There's a lot of opinions on who should be the Time Magazine Person of the Year every year, and it is Taylor Swift. I feel like they're trying to tire me out. <laughs> they're trying to make me just say, put her on every single cover and say, Lawrence, Lawrence you have to love her. There are you a lot of people who it. love this story with her and the Kansas City guy. They love that. We need a good they love story. That. America needs a good love story. We do. A national makeout sex. <laughs> I don't think I want to see that part. The, uh, the problem, Brian, is this isn't real, okay? This is not a real love story. You know, you got to hold it. Oh, I think it is. Real, right? No, no. I think it's real. Kind of too. It's, uh, you don't believe tight ends are lovable. I think Cinderella was real too, don't you? <laughs> no. Yeah, you do. I mean, li listen to that, producer Kurt. You got Lawrence there laying down some serious truths. This is all a manufactured media mirage. This isn't. This isn't real. You can see this coming from a mile away. Even YouTube creators like Meat Can Meat Canyon. Have you heard of him? Makes great animations predicting that the Travis Kelsey Taylor Swift thing is not permanent. She's going to end in collapse and breakup as it always does. Love you. I barely know you. You want me to fawn over your existence. Everything is spectacle and everything so perfect and right. I try to get your attention, but it goes unnoticed until it's convenient for you. I can never love you because I can't stand the idea of you. Sorry, Taylor, but I think we should break up. And then she's going to write the breakup song. It's inevitable. It comes every cycle. In the stadium lights, under starry night, you were my quarterback. You held me tight. But the game's over now, and I'm on my own. 
But now I'm here standing in this lonely place Our love is in the end zone But it's on the wrong side <laughs> I see you out there in a new uniform I can't help but feeling a little bit sore The crowd has gone silent And the shoes have all gone are you happy there, producer Kurt? Culture achieved. We have we have enriched the culture of the audience. He even put the ad libs in there. That was amazing. It was wonderful. Thanks for listening, ladies and gentlemen. But that runs us out of time. I leave you with the parting words of wisdom. As always, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whoever you're with, remember that life is a state of mind. See you next week.